Welcome back, guys, to the Finest Hours podcast, where we talk about amazing people doing amazing things. I am Skylar Williams, and I am joined by Hayden Hansen and Braden Cromorn. Hello. Hey, everyone. It's good to be pretty, back. That was pretty uh, scary. Uh, no, it was. <laughs> Jinx. After, after six long weeks, we're back, and we apologize for not having our crap together and getting to you sooner, but... It's really only been six weeks. Yeah, That's a lot weeks. of time for it's us. It's been a lot of time. I don't think we've had a longer period it's of time. Period in between. Yeah. Well, at the risk of just having a crappy intro, let's just say that we really like our story today. We hope you really like our story today because it's about if a man. You don't, you're wrong. I know. <laughs> it's about a man who's very, very interesting and innovative and certainly his spirit lives on and that man is bill bowerman who you're gonna find (laughs) out stay tuned and you're gonna find out that's the point of finest hours you're not supposed to know these names so funny you're supposed to not know these names and we're supposed to tell you why you should know these names and that's why you stay in less than four 30 minutes to an hour that's right (laughs) sometimes shorter that's <laughs> <laughs> true we'll see no promises all right so bill bowerman as a young man grew up in a small town in eastern oregon is eastern oregon the green part no eastern oregon is the idaho part <laughs> oh so yeah grew up in west idaho <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny So Bill was always getting into trouble for fighting as a kid. His parents divorced when he was young and his mother who had a lot, who he had a lot of respect for was left to raise him alone. And so Bill had a lot of respect for women in general, but there was nobody that he respected more than his mother. Now, one day in middle school, Bill got in trouble for fighting again with another boy. He was marched down to the superintendent's office where he was told to sit in a chair. And there he waited for two hours, anxiously stirring and imagining what the superintendent would say to him. When the superintendent finally did call him into his office, he told Bill, you will either straighten up or you're going to die in some barroom floor. Worse than that, you'll embarrass a decent woman for the rest of her days. Who? Bill asked. Your mother. Bill sat quietly in defeat. That was all he needed to hear. He would straighten up. And from then on, he began studying and playing sports. That is the last L he ever took. (laughs) Uh, So in high school, Bill started playing football and he was quite good at it because it earned him a scholarship to the University of Oregon. In high school, he met his sweetheart, Barbara, whom he would later marry. At Oregon... Bill had a very tough football coach that he loathed. When he later started coaching sports, he would resent being called coach and would immediately correct his athletes. Call me Bill. In addition to football, he started running for the track team. His coach, Bill Hayward, would notice that Bowerman was always much smarter than he was fast, which would serve Bell well for the rest of his life. 
After graduating from the University of Oregon, Bill and his wife, Barbara, uh, were driving to Crater Lake for a vacation when they heard the news over the radio about how the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. Bill turned off the radio, looked over at his wife. He flipped the car around and drove straight to a recruiting center where he enlisted in the army. Bill was assigned to the 10th Mountain Division deployed in the Dilemites of Italy, where his primary responsibilities were to organize supply lines for his troops. Now, when a soldier stepped on an S-mine, also known as a bouncing Betty, he was seriously wounded by shrapnel. The soldier, not Bill. Bill threw that soldier into a jeep and drove him across country under enemy fire to get him to an army surgeon. Bill's heroic saved the man's life. Why do you think they called it a bouncing Betty? (laughs) Brayden, why don't you educate our listeners on bouncing Bettys? They called it a bouncing Betty because it did bounce. So an S-mine was a pressure mine, a German invention, and when when you would step near it, it would detect a shift in pressure and it would kick up into the air and it would explode, sending shrapnel flying. That you clever, clever girl. <laughs> so towards the end of the war, Bill had been promoted to major when he negotiated the surrender of more than 4,000 German troops with nothing but a pistol at his side. Is that better? His future athletes would say that when Bill talks, you listen. And that's why he only needed a pistol. That's right. His tongue was his pistol. So Bill was awarded a bronze star and a silver star for his courage during his service. He returned to Oregon and began coaching and teaching at a local high school. When his former track coach, Bill Hayward, passed away, he was offered the position at the University of Oregon. His family moved to Eugene and his NCAA coaching career began. Bill did things very differently than a lot of other coaches during the era. He emphasized the importance of rest when everyone else was following the philosophy that the more work you put in, the more work you get out of it. And a lot of coaches were just running their athletes, like, I don't know if the proper proper expression, running their athletes to the bone. And he knew his athletes almost better than they knew himself. So one day when Bill instructed one of his recovering runners to run no more than 10 miles, When the runner ran 10 and one quarter miles, he injured himself. Unbelievable. What a rookie. 400. It was 400 meters. (laughs) To the the athlete's credit, it was probably because he was trying to kick at the end of a training run. (laughs) 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 The 10 miles went fine. It was that last quarter mile where he tried to run sub 50. (laughs) Don't know what happened. So Bill Bowerman was frustrated with the lack of quality in his athletes' gear. He would set to work crafting shoes for his athletes. He, would, he always believed that he could make a shoe lighter or more stable, allowing his athletes to run quicker. He experimented with different types of leather, including fish scales and giraffe leather. That's some good stuff. Yeah, fish scale shoes. So the innovation didn't stop there. Bill would take his wife's waffle iron and would craft soles for his shoes using his wife's waffle iron, which, you know, granted, ruining his wife's waffle iron, but that's a bit of foreshadowing. But his experiments with his wife's waffle iron would lead to one of Nike's first patents, the waffle sole. It's coming back in style. It's coming, yeah, it's it's kind of a fashion thing now, but um, at the time, like, very revolutionary or very innovative. 
imagine having more traction on your shoe. You would probably be able to run faster. Yes. People didn't understand this at the time. Jump higher. And Bill would meet with like local cobblers and ask like, okay, so I want to do this with the shoe. But also, how would I get spikes driven through the shoe? And the cobbler's like, you're on your own on that one. <laughs> like, Bill was very innovative. In addition to track shoes, he also invented the artificial track surface, which every track uses today. And he also even took a stab at trying to invent Gatorade. He used combinations of things like mush bananas, tea, honey, and his athletes hated it. They thought it was disgusting and wouldn't drink it. And um, when Gatorade came around, Bill took a sip of it and was like, these people are geniuses. <laughs> I'm going to say, going back to uh, putting spikes through shoes, he should have just learned about the story of Shackleton, oh, where, yeah. they, where, they, where they threw the nails through their boots. So that I know, but they didn't, they didn't want to just, ice. They just didn't want to just put nails through shoes because then the nails would just go then go through the runner's foot when they stepped on the ground. Don't be a baby. (laughs) If you want to run fast, don't be a baby. Shackleton wasn't running, but had he run, he would have destroyed everybody. (laughs) So getting back on track, Bill taught every event in track and field and used ideas like motion studies and biomechanics to instruct his athletes on the smartest way to run or throw without having to fight against their own body's mechanics. And this is pretty important because, you know, if you fight against your body, you're not going to get the best results. And this is what a lot of superb athletes do nowadays is they study their body. And that's why so many records go down nowadays because that's what everybody's into. So he would have athletes that would like lean over a little bit as they're running and then he would instruct them to tuck their hips underneath them, which would give them a greater range of motion. And those were just, just some of the things that Bill taught his athletes so that they could compete a lot easier. They didn't have to fight against themselves. Bill's reputation at this point was expanding across the globe. One year, he took his athletes to compete in New Zealand, and there Bill met a coach that had survived three heart attacks but was outrunning Bill in a friendly team run. Bill was astounded. He began questioning the old coach about his health. Bill learned that the man was regularly jogging and it kept him strong and healthy. This was a time when people believed that it was useless to train in your adult years because your health was inevitably declining and training would not be helpful, but would be harmful to your body, accelerating the decline. Soon after returning, Bill began meeting with a cardiologist, asking him many questions about the human heart and its ability to withstand training during adulthood. He put everything he knew into a book called Jogging, and it sparked a movement in America where adults began regularly running and training. Like back in the 60s and 70s, like if you were just seen running off on the side of the road, you were thought to be like really weird. Like you were like a weird person. <laughs> but today it's like pretty normal. And a lot of that is attributed to Bill Bowerman. You see that guy running and it's, he's either late or he's running from something. <laughs> Should pretty I stop much. and question him? So like four joggers back in the day. I know. Everybody's drivers, stopping, hey, are you okay? Do you need a ride? Drivers would like veer into them and like try to run them off the road and stuff like that. Well, they still do that. I mean, they, the yeah, assholes do. I got to put an explicit thing on our podcast. But, but the point is, it's normal to see people running down the side of the road in 
their older years and taking care of themselves. And no one was really doing that until Bill Bowerman sparked a movement in Western Oregon to get people off their butts and onto the roads and trails. And we'll say, I'm pretty sure this guy was like close to 80, probably 70, 80. And I saw him running the other day and he was cruising. Like he was going so fast. And I just thought to myself, why am I out here? <laughs> what am Wait, I doing with my you? life? <laughs> no, he was, he was running the other way. Um, but he was going so fast and I was like, I got to turn somewhere so he doesn't see me and judge me. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you know, that's what I'm worried about when I run. <laughs> I haven't been running in like two months, but so in the late 1960s, a young Phil Knight approached Bowerman with a business proposition. Phil wanted to start a business distributing Japanese running shoes in the American market. The shoes were high quality, not as much as Adidas, but they were a lot more affordable for American athletes. Bill listened to his pitch, nodded, and offered Phil $500 for the first shipment of shoes, and a partnership was born. Bill Bowerman and Phil Knight would sign a deal in which Bill would own 49% of the company, Blue Ribbon Sports. And Hayden actually brought this up earlier, but it was originally meant to be a 50-50 partnership, but after Bill met with his neighbor and lawyer, Bill decided it would be best to give Phil 51% of the company so that... Phil would be the one making decisions, avoiding gridlock. So years after, when the Japanese manufacturer Onitsuka began making moves to take over Blue Ribbon Sports, the shoes that Bill had been crafting for his athletes were made into a new line, Nike. Phil Knight and Bill Bowerman would eventually cut ties with Onitsuka and pursue their own venture just widely distributing the shoes that Bill was making for his athletes at the University of Oregon. So Onitsuka was, well, later became Asics, and I just picture LeBron wearing Asics now. <laughs> what a time this would be. Oh, well, they probably uh, wouldn't have gotten into basketball. They'd still be just running. <laughs> so would he be wearing New Balance? <laughs> Dude, basketball players used to wear Converse back in the day. Oh, yes. Picture LeBron James dunking on you in Converse. (laughs) (laughs) Which is Nike owned. Which is now owned by Nike. Yeah, that's true. I totally forgot about that. Nuts. So when Bill was selected to be the head track coach for the 1972 Munich Olympic Games, Palestinian terrorists held nine Israeli athletes hostage, later executing all of them after an ambush with the German police. When there were discussions about whether or not to postpone the games, Bill said to all of his athletes, this killing of Israel athletes is an act of war. And if there's one place that war does not belong, it's here. 1200 years from 776 BC to 393 AD, your fellow Olympians laid down their arms to take part in these games. They understood there was more honor in outrunning a man than in killing him. I hope the competition will resume, and if it does, you must not think that running or throwing or jumping is frivolous. The games were once your fellow Olympians' answer to war. Competition, not conquest. Now, they must be your answer. Which is pretty true. There's nothing more satisfying than outrunning someone. I love that. Yeah. Outrunning, outmuscling, outjumping. I love that. I mean, what are sports if not 
organized war. So Bill would go on to coach 31 Olympic athletes, 51 All-Americans, 12 American record holders, 22 NCAA champions, and I think most impressively of all, 16 sub-four-minute milers, which is so crazy. Honestly, we should, we should look this up and fact check, check ourselves, but I don't know if anyone has ever coached more sub-four-minute milers or turned men into sub-four-minute milers. But he's now in the track and field Hall of Fame, and his legacy continues to live through the Nike brand. And as Bill Bowerman would say, if you have a body... You are an athlete. Uh, Bill did famously say, probably his most famous quote of all time, if you have a body, you are an athlete. And I think really what that means is don't limit yourself. Even <laughs> golfers are athletes. <laughs> That's what that <laughs> Not because of the sport they play, but because the fact they do have a body. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding i quite enjoy golf and now that i'm not a runner anymore it's all i have left so <laughs> but bill died in his home back home where he grew up in fossil eastern oregon at the age of 88 on december 24th 1999 isn't that interesting fossil oregon that definitely sounds like a western idaho name to me <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is basically western idaho but so, as Bill Bowerman would say, if you have a body, you are an athlete. And if you have a body, you should subscribe and go five stars. <laughs> and you should follow us at Finest Hours Podcast on our, for our Instagram. And you should email us on who we should talk about at finesthourspod at gmail.com because we would like recent stories um, or stories of people you know so that we can share those. In this crazy world in which we live in, there are people that do find things. Yeah. How does one say goodbye after a story such as this? It cannot be done. So instead of a goodbye, we will say, see you next time. May you have a wonderful day. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Thank you, Bob Ross. <laughs>